Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Other the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And before we start this episode, we have actually got a special guest introduction for you from one of the stars of the film. So I'm going to let Chris play that now. Hi, my name is Nicholas Vince and I played Kinski in Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Um... Crescent Moon Face Guy or Mac tonight if you're American. Um, uh, lovely to hear that uh, Gary and Chris of the Horror Cult Trash Other podcast are going to be talking about uh, Nightbreed, uh, a film that obviously very close to my heart. Uh, mentioned that I also I played Kinski. Uh, not a lot of people know I also played one of the Berserkers, Ghost, the paler of the four. Uh, the one that couldn't see. Anyway, um, enough of all that. I'm really delighted that you guys are going to be talking about Night because, as I say, it is a film that is really close to my heart. It means an awful lot to me. Um, and it's just been kind of after the conversation I've just been having with the rest of the gang in a Hellbound uh, screening about the importance of Nightbreed in terms of gay history and when it was filmed and it's you know, what it means, and I think how it's echoed with so many gay people in terms of being a monsters, having somewhere to go, and being accepted for exactly who and what you are. Not only being accepted, but being celebrated. I think it's very important that we don't just accept differences. I think we should celebrate differences. Uh, homogenization of people is a bad, bad thing as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I'm sure you'll be covering lots of these things and glad to hear that you're looking forward to it so much, uh, Gary. And uh, yeah, enjoy the show. So, yeah, that happened. <laughs> uh, I mean, wow. I mean, first of all, a, a massive thanks to Nicholas Vince for taking the time to uh, record that introduction for us. I mean, he's the star of three of my favourite films, not just Nightbreed, you know, he's obviously, uh, he plays Chatter and Hellraiser and Howbound, you know, he's a fantastic uh, actor who is great in roles of, of these creatures and, you know, he always does such a fantastic job and he is fantastic in Nightbreed. Um, so, yeah, we're just highly appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah, and he had some really interesting things to say that yeah. I think we're going to cover... In our podcast. Yeah, because, of course, um, this is the first episode of Pride Month. It's Pride Month now, so each week we will be releasing uh, episodes with films that have either got, you know, gay cast and crew or LGBT representation within the film, subtext. Um, I mean, this is obviously a mixture of all of them. You know, Nightbreed is a, a great, I'd say a very positive LGBT film. Um, yeah. In that, you know, in a rare instance in uh, in within film, the the gay guys are the good guys, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you could also look at it as you know any sort of group that's been segregated or pushed to the outskirts. Yeah, we we noticed it's so ahead of its time and very on the nose at the moment, especially with everything that's going on in America currently. Um, you know, 
this this film is about people who are different, you know, being treatedly uh, treated differently, uh, especially you know as it comes near the end of the film. What makes it so on the nose is you know with with the law and everything with all the police officers that are going there to blow Midian up because they don't understand these people that are, are different to them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just to to sort of um, specify that we're discussing the director's cut. Yeah, that was. Um, We'll discuss it further, but this was a film that was destroyed, really, by yeah. the studio. Because the studio didn't understand what the film was about. Absolutely. I mean, to just before we get into the trivia, because that's, that's all in the trivia, yeah. this was released in 1990. Um, so, very out of place for its time. Uh, and again, just very ahead of its time. It, it would fit way better... Nowadays, I feel um, in in a in a time when horror is so varied, uh, and everything's a little different to each other now. Yeah, um, this this would fit in perfectly nowadays. But this is released after the slasher craze and before the meta screen phase. So this is a very weird time um, for horror. The the early nineties. The early nineties were a terrible time for horror. And of course, oh, really. this is directed by Clive Barker, um, who. As he's one of my favorite horror writers, uh, absolutely a gay icon in his own right. Um, you know he he's wrote the likes of Hellraiser and directed Hellraiser, wrote and direct, uh, directed uh, Lord of Illusions. He he wrote Candyman, Midnight Meat Train, Book of Blood. You know he's got such a a, a massive back catalogue of these amazing, unique, and original stories. And that's that's what Clive Barker is. He's unique. There's no one else like him. No, that's very true. Um, it was made on an eleven million dollar budget, and it did bomb because it was just mismarketed. And as we'll get into now with the trivia, that there are three different versions of this film. Originally, there was a theatrical version. Then it went on to be the Cabal cut, and now the version we watched, the director's cut, which was uh, edited together in twenty fourteen, and uh, had re recorded dialogue by some of the actors. Uh, it, is, it is essentially a new film, isn't it? Yeah, so what they did was they inserted 45 minutes of new footage whilst taking 20 minutes of footage out. Yeah. So 25 minutes of f- extra footage is added to the length of the film, but it ch- changes it completely. Yeah, absolutely. It changes it completely, and it, it changes the point of the film completely... Uh, for me personally, it was just, it was a little more coherent. Yeah. Um, it was not easier to follow, but everything that Clive Barker was trying to say is now way more apparent yeah. than it was in the original cut. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I've got a lot of nostalgia for this film. Um, it, this film was one of my earliest memories of horror. Uh, like, my parents went to a, a museum in, in Blackpool in the UK where they had props from Nightbreed and other Clive Barker films and films from around that time and um, I, I remember they had photos from this from this Waxworks in, in, in an old photo album seen it when I was younger and just completely fascinated by these weird beings that you know uh, were in this Waxworks and such and then you know Many years later on, I finally watched Nightbreed, and even the theatrical version, I just loved it. It was immediately one of my favourite films, and then throughout the years, I've watched it so many times. And then to see this, director's cut, you know, that's even better 
than a theatrical cut. It was amazing. It, it was like a whole new experience. Um, but, but going into why the different cuts exist and such, um, when Clive Barker made the film, he wanted the monsters to be the good guys, and they stood for differences. They stood for, you know, everyone's individualities and, you know, how we're all different to one another. Uh, he wanted them to be the good guys, but the studios were not having it. Uh, they, they wanted, you know, if they're going to have monsters in the film, they wanted them to be the bad guys, but that is not what, you know, that is not what Clive Barker wanted at all. Uh, and then the result was the theatrical version, and it, it cut out most of the graphic violence and completely removed, apparently removed Susie Quattro's character. Now, I don't think she was even in this version that we watched. No. I can't say, if, if I'm wrong, I apologise, but I can't see, I, say I notice her unless she played one of the monsters. She probably would have. It, it, it would probably have been her in quite heavy makeup. Yeah. I'm assuming it um, just it just goes to show you know how much studio interference can change something. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the MPAA throughout the '80s; it completely butchered a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth films, and you know, Nightmare on Elm Street um, to a certain extent. Um, but then you know, obviously, it's it's completely wrong in this instance because this is this guy's story. This is Clive Barker's story that he wants to tell, and they're saying you know we're just going to completely change it. Yeah, and the advertising, the, the posters, that's what I remember from the film. I didn't watch Nightbreed until Gary showed it me maybe one or two years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we rewatched the director's cut for, for this episode of the podcast. And I'd seen advertising for it and, and just thought it was a, a slasher film. Yeah. The, the scenes from it that I'd seen were... Um, Dr. Decker in the mask, mm. in the, you know, in the house, killing the family. I just thought it was a slasher film. Yeah. And the way it was advertised was as a slasher film, really. Well, it stole the poster from a slasher film. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it stole the poster from uh, Bad Dreams, um, the Jennifer Rubin film. Mm. And so that's all I'd known about it. And it was at the tail end of the slasher craze really 1990 late very late slasher uh, you hadn't quite had Freddy's Dead yet mm. um, but you'd had sort of you know Jason Goes to Manhattan that kind of derailed the Friday yeah. the 13th sequels in a, in a way so that was definitely dying off horror was dying off um, if you look at the most successful films of 1990 the only real horror film on there is um uh gremlins 2 mm. and, yeah. and that that's you know um not a heavy well, it's a horror, horror. comedy well, it know, is but, but you know gremlins really were aimed at kids yeah kind yeah. of yeah. you know oh gremlins 2 is, is very much more towards a family audience um but yeah, they absolutely wanted it to just be a standard slasher film. And, and the most fucked up thing is, uh, so I've never looked at myself, I've always related more with the monsters in this film and, you know, what they stand for and what Clive Barker wanted them to stand for. Um, but the, the messed up thing is, I mean, uh, did the studios want to side with David Cronenberg's character? If, if, they're, if they're wanting the monsters to be the bad guys, he's there to hunt down the monsters. I think what they wanted was... For Laurie to be the um, pr- protagonist, mm. 
um, you know, slash film, Laurie, young white girl. Yeah. Um, have her be the heart of the film. Mm. Uh, the advert um, alludes to her boyfriend not being the person that she thought he was. Yeah. Um, i.e. a monster. And um, it's definitely the adverts make it look like female, you know, um, eyes mm. and being under um, violent duress. Um, so I think they wanted Laurie to be a final girl. Yeah. Um, and that's not the story Clive Barker wanted to tell. No, no. Um, so, moving to some uh, different types of trivia, the role of uh, Honaka was originally uh, written for Mark Holmond of Soft Cell fame. Yes. Uh, he was contracted to play the role, but his management advised against it because of his image. He's also one of my mum's crushes, actually, ironically <laughs> enough. She admitted quite recently. Um, um, uh, Rutger uh, Hauer and Christopher Lambert were both considered for Boone. Okay. Which I, I could see. I can I can kind of see it. I can kind of see it. Rutger Hauer, um, maybe not so much. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I could definitely see more Christopher Lambert. He's a little more... I don't know. Um... I want to say gristled, is that the word I want to use? We'll go with it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think you know, you know what I mean. He's a bit... He, he's not a pretty boy, like... Yeah. Um, uh, who played him? In, Greg Sheffer is. Uh, Lalsberg's voice was originally redubbed by an anonymous German actor. Uh, so, of course, Lalsberg being Doug Bradley's character, um, but then that was corrected within the... Uh, director's cut but originally Doug Bradley was not happy about it because it is why did he need to be overdubbed I don't see what was, was German wrong with... accent yeah German is scary <laughs> Isn't it... there we go Americans find Germans extremely scary yeah. in many ways <laughs> and going back to uh, our special guest introduction Nicholas Vince was actually one of the writers on the Nightbreed comic book series oh nice oh. Um, so before we get into it I want to introduce a new element um to our episodes throughout Pride Month, where we discuss exactly why we're discussing this film. Now, obviously, we've touched upon it, and Nicholas Vince touched upon it on his uh, message. Um, but, you know, essentially, we should just call a segment what makes this film gay. Yeah, you know? because it's not an overtly gay film. No, it is subtext, straight subtext. Yeah. Um, but then again, I mean, two of the characters, you know, the, the monster with the snakes coming out of his stomach, he was very much acting like he was in a relationship with the guy with the devil horns. Mm, yeah. Um, that Again, I think that was heavily in the director's cut, though. But, yeah, so did you want to give a rundown on why exactly we're covering this well, film? Well, um, it's, I mean... I mean, Clive Barker alone is, is yeah. as I've said, he so is a gay icon. Clive Barker is a gay filmmaker, and I think any sort of uh, LGBT filmmaker is going to bring an essence of their sexuality into a film, you know? Mm-hmm. If, if they're really standing, uh, telling a story from, from their perspective, it, it's going to be incorporated to a massive amount, not necessarily always... But it's, you know, the director's stamp, the writer's stamp on it, it you know, it's going to allude to that. Um, and this idea of a group of people being pushed to and segregated to the outskirts of this town yeah, and left there and treated like they were dirty, 
monsters mm-hmm. um, that they would bring some sort of disease to town, you know? Yeah. Which is why they can stick with their own people, don't be bothering us, you can't live among us. You know, that's 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 how a lot of gay people lived. Yeah. That That's how they were forced to live, should I say. Um, particularly during the, the, the AIDS pandemic um, in the 80s and 90s. You know, this is right in the middle of that. The idea of these people being seen as dirty, and it, it is stated in the film, mm, yeah. um, is something that was rife within the gay community um, at that time. And, it, you know, you'd be foolish not to see the connotations between the two, yeah. you know? Um, but that could also be seen within any sort of minority. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the African-American community, um, the immigrants from Central America, mm. you know, they were all treated in a similar way. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about this kind of film is that and I'm glad it's not overtly gay mm. because you can bring elements of different stories to it yeah and different people see it in different ways and it's perfectly valid and that's you know that's what great art does it, it allows you to think for yourself mm. and and you know um, obviously from our perspective as to members of the LGBT community, that's what we, you know, empathise with more, mm. is that story. Um, but anyone can bring anything yeah. to it and, and it'd still be valid, which is great. Absolutely. So, getting into it, the plot of this film is, a troubled young man is drawn to a mythical place called Midian, where a variety of friendly monsters are hiding from humanity. And we open the film with a title card that has uh, clips of uh, the monsters in action amongst it. Uh, before we're shown the Midian monsters themselves running towards a gate and we find out it's just a dream uh, for our protagonist, I want to say. Our main, main protagonist, I'd Aaron say, Boone. Yeah. I mean, on the, on, the, on the poster, he's in the middle. Yeah. On, on the, yeah. the uh, because we, we purchased the Arrow video yeah. version. And so he's in the middle of yeah. that poster. So, so uh, we see a conversation um, between him and his girlfriend, Laurie. Uh, they're discussing leaving town. And uh, Boone mentions he's been receiving calls from Dr. Decker, who is played by David Cronenberg. Um, obviously another horror legend. Um, and uh, we get to see a scene where Dr. Decker calls him again and arranges a meeting with him. And uh, he ends the call by saying, God help us both. So we know there's something between these two. You know there's something not right with Dr. Decker immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. He's very clearly shady as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And we cut to um, a a very Clive Barker type thing. A family in a very British-looking house in America. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How Rays, I'm still not sure where How Rays is meant to be set to this day. I feel I think Hellraiser is meant to be set in America, but it was clearly filmed in Britain. Yeah, 
Yeah, when 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 you uh, when when you live in the UK, you know what a UK house looks like. There's <laughs> <laughs> a grey, <laughs> especially in the nineties as well. Like e- even in Howard's, which is in the eighties, it looks like a very nineties house, uh, and especially in this film, of course. Um, but I, I always remember this sequence. This, this is the most memorable for me from the first time I watched it because it absolutely scared the shit out of me. It's it's a very very well made scene um, of a family they're just living in this house you don't know anything about them uh, the kid hears something and tells his mum and then next minute uh, the mum's at the fridge she closes the fridge and uh, we've got a guy in a mask behind it it's got like buttons for eyes and a zip for a mouth Yeah. and uh, he slashes the mum's face and essentially kills her then he slits the dad's throat and walks towards the kid and then it just cuts to uh, a different scene but the whole sequence I mean obviously I just Skin past it is very effective, and I mean, watching it in the context of the film as well, it's even better. Yeah, it is actually, and this is pure slasher film. Yeah, um, that the I think the studio wanted more and more of this scene, yeah. um, and it's a very effective scene, very well shot. Um, they wanted more of this, whereas this was a setup for what the real story was. Yeah, and at this stage, you're not meant to know who no. is behind that mask. No. You know, in the original cut, you don't get to see that the phone call before this with Decker, so you don't really get to see him acting shady or anything. So, you know, you're meant to think, essentially, that this is Boone. Yeah, doing yeah. This. and that plays into the advertising campaign yeah. where Laurie doesn't trust her boyfriend. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, uh, after this, we're cut to Boone working. And, he's a mechanic, uh, isn't he? He's yeah, a mechanic. He's a mechanic. Yeah, and uh, Laurie turns up, and she's absolutely slaying the game. She is serving looks, hair. She's got a big leather skirt on, big hoop energy on the go. She's got big hoop energy. Honestly, she looks amazing. Um, they have a, a smooch and whatnot whilst he's working. And then we go to Decker, and he's with Boone, and uh, they're having a discussion uh, about the monsters in Midian. So this is when we get the exposition about the monsters and what Boone has been seeing in his in his dreams. Uh, and then he says he receives some photographs from the police of these murdered families. And he shows them to Boone, he gives him some pills, and he just basically talks him into thinking that he did it. That he murdered these families. Yeah, yeah. Um, so him and Decker are talking about what they believe to be an invented city, Midian. Yeah, yeah. So they believe that Midian is solely within Aaron uh, Aaron Boone's uh, I've called him Aaron throughout but Boone um, everyone else seems to call him I don't know why I put Aaron um, but yeah they think that Midian is an invented city that only exists within Boone's dreams yeah yeah so these murders have been occurring and Decker is quite clearly making Boone think that he has committed these murders. Yeah. Um, we know Decker to be a shady character, mm. so, you know, we're not so sure ourselves. Um, and Decker wants uh, Boone to go to the police and confess. It just, another, really, this is a another a positive that you don't get in a lot of other films, because normally in any, any other film... Boone would be the killer and it would be put down to mental health. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and Laurie would be the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the fact that, you know, Boone isn't crazy, it, it, I think it's a really good 
a really good uh, aspect of the film. But it, it, is it suggested that Boone's dreams follow the um, the murders themselves? So he's had dreams of the murders mm. to exact detail. Yeah. Is it explained why he's had those dreams specifically about um, those people? No, I mean, I, d- I don't know if it's them trying to show him what's going on, or I'm not quite sure on that one. Yeah. It could have been maybe some um, Dr. Decker, uh, you know, psychological control yeah, or, yeah. or something yeah, like that. He seems to know what he's doing with him. Cause in in yeah. the next scene, um, Boone... It, it looks like he takes one of the pills, but he throws away the rest of them. Um, he burns a load of letters. Uh, he he can see himself with Laurie um, making out on the bed. He's in his like, pants, he's in his pants a lot during this beginning yeah, of the film. Yeah, we, we get to see a lot of shirtless Boone during this. <laughs> um, so I mean, another bonus there for the gay audience. And uh, so he he grabs a shower and then yeah. <laughs> again more shirtless Boone, and then. Uh, I can't emphasise enough how much I love this new scene. We get Laurie slaying again, but this time she's on stage. She's singing as a song about how she wants a brave man, she wants a caveman, and Johnny getting angry, and she's just absolutely loving life. What do you think Doing this song thing. means? Do you think it was deliberately put in and the lyrics are very deliberate? Because this is Laurie, and if we're, we're looking at... If us in particular yeah. looking at the monsters as gay, mm. then Boone eventually becomes one of yeah. the monsters, yeah. and there's the ink, there's the beginnings of that in mm. his dreams. Anyway, we, we can see where this is going. Yeah. So when Laurie sings, "I want a brave man, I want a caveman," mm. do you think that she, you know, is thinking, oh? It could be gay, essentially. Yeah, yeah I, no, I know. I, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I know they've just made out on the couch. Um, but do you think we could look at the song? Oh, like absolutely. That? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, de- I definitely don't think it was just thrown in as any other song. I, I do think it has got some form of meaning behind it. And uh, Johnny, show that you really care for Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Um, maybe she's feeling a little neglected. Yeah because of these dreams yeah and if we interpret these dreams as you know homosexual feelings mm. then she could start you know i, th- I think yeah. i think it's good that the song was put in there yeah yeah and it's, it's a good it's scene not it, just a throwaway scene no no and it, it, like i said it could mean something i think it does uh and even with that scene and the scene of boone working you know it, it just gives a little more character development as well and it even looks like boone um Kind of gets offended by the song. Yeah, yeah. He's not enjoying it he as much as in we the crowd were. And then leaves. Yeah. You know, without without sort of speaking to her or really acknowledging yeah. her. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, Laurie goes looking for him after he storms off, and uh, he's almost run over, and he's in hospital. He's been told he's had a bad trip uh, from the pills he was given, mm. uh, and we're hearing a voice saying, "Take me to Midian." And uh, we are uh, introduced to a, a new character uh, by the name of... Where did I write it? It should be like... Right, Narcisse. I think that's how you pronounce it. Narcisse. Yeah. Um, so this guy, he's saying, take me to Midian. He knows 
absolutely everything about what Boone's been witnessing in his dreams. You say it's where the monsters go. Uh, but he thinks he has to prove himself. He thinks Boone knows where it is and that he's going to take him. Um, but Boone's asking him for directions to where it is. Uh, and he says he has to prove himself for Boone to take him there. So he then proceeds to get these uh, blades out. What, what would you... It was a scalpel. It was a scalpel. Scal- yeah. I think it was scalpels. But like big and... Oh, okay. So not... But... Yeah, he I would did, say there's some sort of knife yeah, or yeah. something. So he, he starts cutting his head open. Um, and one thing we need to mention right now is the practical effects in this film, still to this day, look amazing. Yeah, they do. Like, this scene they is are. just so graphic and it, it's amazing. Um, but you can see this guy genuinely really believes Midian's there. And uh, so he starts cutting his head open Um Boone escapes. Uh, Decker meets up with a detective, Joyce. Uh, who was in... What was he in? Oh, he was in... For our English um, listeners, he was in Holby City. Uh, but he was also in uh, Michel Suave's... Uh, if I pronounce that correctly, The Church. Okay. Yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so... Um, and I, I can't remember his name, if I'm being honest. He's telling... He's being told that you know, Boone, but this is all Boone's fault and everything, the guy cutting his head open and such. Um, Boone drives to where uh, Narcisse was saying uh, Midian was. And once he gets there, it's a, a big graveyard with these gate, massive gates on the front from his dreams. Uh, and he comes into contact with Kinski, who holds him at knife point, whilst uh, another monster, Pelequin, uh, confronts him. And uh, Boone is saying to him that he's convinced he's killed people. He's like, I belong here. He's like, no, you you haven't killed anyone. You're you're pure of heart. And then that's when we realise, okay, he hasn't been doing the murders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you like to describe what Kinski and Pelequin look like? Um, so Kinski is... Uh, well, we... as Nicholas Vince said himself, moon yeah, face. Yeah, moon face. <laughs> uh, like a crescent moon. Uh, like a banana-shaped yeah. head. Um, but also kind of mixed with... Uh, what was that sh- Lazy Town. That's <laughs> true. What's his name from Lazy Town? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, the Robbie, bad... Robbie Rotten. From Robbie Lazy Rotten. <laughs> Looks like Robbie Rotten from Lazy Town, whose head morphed with a banana. And then... Who was the other one, excuse me? Uh, Pelican. Um Yeah, he scary um like big big sharp teeth yeah um it it looks like sort of he may have dreadlocks yeah they're sort of like dreadlocks but they they like oh, rise up at times and, yeah yeah it, uh, the, the um the monster designs in this film are incredible it's they classic really are. it's classic clive barker yeah um a bit really well executed yes yeah, like yeah. Fun, really for 1990 really well done yeah um, do we know who did them uh, I am not entirely sure, but I believe he is the guy who was involved with that uh, place in Blackpool, um, because he had provided all the props and oh, okay and everything for it. Um, I mean, I I assume he's a uh, a regular collaborator with with Clive Barker. Hmm. Are you going to find out? Yeah, I am actually because and um, forgive us, we should really have given him a shout out. We should have really written down. Uh, special effects. 
and it's a whole team um lots of them Manuel Beccaro, Ian Brown, Neville Buchanan, Paul Clancy, Chris Cobold, Chris Cunningham. Um, I'm assuming they've got a name, a collective name. Our apologies for not knowing that. So, yeah, so everybody who is involved either way did an amazing job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, Boone gets away after Pelequin bites him. Um, he, he runs away. Uh, Palaquin is convinced that he's meat for him because he's innocent. Um, so he, he runs away. Um, Kinski helps him escape. Uh, and we see that the monsters can't really, uh, at this stage, they can't leave because they can sense someone else coming that's, uh, that's not like Boone. And, of course, next we see Decker arriving with the police. So um, Decker walks up to Boone and uh, he, he's saying to him it'll be okay and everything but then he shouts that Boone's got a gun and Boone gets shot dead within the first half hour of the film yeah yeah so um, it's interesting this this sort of sequence of events because um, when Boone gets there he, he's had this dude basically tell him that you know you have to be worthy to go to Midian um, and so he appears there, and, and seemingly to be worthy, mm. you have to have killed someone. So I thought it was, it, it's a strange idea to be worthy yeah. of entering Midian. You had to have killed someone. And then we realised that Boone isn't the killer, you mm. know, creepy old... And, and we know straight away creepy old Dr. Decker has to be. Because yeah. that's not the point of the film. It's not a, a murder mystery. No. You know, that's not the point of the film. Um... He was, uh, I think, was it Kinski that said, uh, it's all true, Oz is over the rainbow, and Midian is where that the monsters was, That live. was Palaquin. Yeah. Uh, Palaquin, excuse me. Um, I thought that was an interesting... Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Oh, <laughs> obviously, whenever you refer to Oz, you're bringing up a bit of gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> of, of course. You know, um, but it's... He thought that Midian was just somewhere in his dreams... And now he knows that it's real. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting concept. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, what I, what, what I take away from it is it's kind of like me before. You know, before I came out, I obviously you know you know of gay people and such, and you, you always think, oh, you know, it, the way I look at it is the way I used to think. You know, that's how I am. You know, I could be like that, but then you don't realize what's like until you actually come out, and that, that's how I took it anyway. Maybe the idea. Is yeah, so this it's him going to Midian's him coming out, yeah, and th- this is a refuge for him and people like him, yeah. Um, if he'd felt an outsider for all his life mm. and he's finally found this place, um, uh, what was his name, Narcisse? Mm. Um, I think the idea that he had to perform self sort of mutilation, yeah, and suffer. Before mm. he could get there, yeah, I think that's an in- interesting concept. Absolutely, uh, the harming of others. Um, is it specifically harming of others? Or you you haven't caused harm. You haven't killed anyone. Um, I don't think so. I I don't know specifically what it is. Yeah. Um, because I mean, a lot of them that are in there, I can't see them having harmed others before they get in no um 
But I mean, even that, you know, that, that, that could be looked at the way society, you know, some people who, um, you know, like to play the victim if their kids come out as gay uh, and they feel like they've been hurt. That could even be looked at like that. Yeah, yeah. Or you haven't suffered yeah. enough to, to, to be accepted. Yeah. You know, you're not quite there yet because you haven't told anyone. Yeah. You know, so, after Boone is shot dead, uh, Detective Joyce asks, you know, where's the gun? And uh, Dr. Deck was like, oh, he reached into his jacket. And uh, we then go to Laurie, identifying his body. And uh, she's having a conversation with uh, with Decker and Detective Joyce. And um, we get Boone's autopsy. And uh, we get Decker really giving himself away and saying that everyone has a secret face. Well, yeah, you, you're going around with a button mask on. It's, uh... Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've de- definitely established... It's like Decker might as well just tell him. He's like, yeah, I'm going around killing people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so Decker tells Laurie about Midian. Uh, they're, they're talking about it and such. Uh, and we see the bite that uh, Pelican left on uh, on Boone bring him back to life. Or we see a bit of, uh, like, a lightning flash or something. Yeah, so it's definitely suggested that the bite itself... Is what has brought Boone back to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and he flees, doesn't he? Yeah. Essentially. So, um, Laurie is gathering her thing. She sees the ghost of Boone. Uh, Deccan, De- Decker listens to uh, an, an interview with Boone and throws his tape because he's uh, absolutely fuming because he realises on this tape, Boone basically says, well, once you find Midian, if you die, that's it. That's, that's where you're going. Death is in the end, and uh, Decker realizes essentially by killing Boone, he's uh, he's made him go to Midian. He he's accepted now amongst those. Yeah. Um. So Laurie goes out to search for Midian. She goes to a bar, and uh, she has a chat with uh, a lady in the bathroom called Cheryl. And Cheryl wants to know what's wrong. Is it men or money? <laughs> it's definitely one of those um, girls in the. Uh bar toilet making fast <laughs> friends um so yeah so well, they have... men it's just like in and out you know yeah. you just go uh but for women they, they come out and they've got two numbers and yeah this is definitely evening. when you're on a, on a night out it's essentially this is like what it's like for you in a smoking area yeah <laughs> yeah so laurie's made a new friend and uh, they're having a chat at the bar and and what I really like about this scene is how she basically tells the bathroom bathroom Cheryl she tells her this whole story about Midian about her boyfriend being shot dead and recovering from an autopsy and all this stuff and Cheryl believes her yeah there's nothing more frustrating than a film where you see a character go on for ages about something and no one believes them and such but this just gets straight to it Cheryl believes it straight away it's a smidge far-fetched it's yeah Cheryl seems a a slightly gullible type yeah and the film knows what it is so it just gets straight to it Uh so she offers to actually drive her to check out Midian Mm -hmm. um, the next day so after this we are taking to Midian itself and uh, Narcisse and Boone are there and uh, they are introduced to all of the other monsters there's some really the designs just get better as the film goes on uh, some really weird looking amazing monsters here mm. uh, and and they're introduced to uh, Larsberg who is Doug Bradley's character and he is uh, essentially the leader yeah he's he's a bit 
he looks he, he's giving me a bit of splinter from uh teenage mutant ninja turtles he yeah. doesn't look like a rat yeah a more um <laughs> a, a more gory splinter yeah he's, he's we've got that elderly figure that, that sort of leads everybody. Yeah. Uh, what's I don't know why that was my reference point. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Nazi's Talisboon, um, now that we're here, no place on earth will take us in, which is another really interesting line of dialogue to look into. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, Larsberg says, you know, tonight you you leave the old world behind. Your, your old life is now, uh, is now a dream. Um he says the tribes of the of the moon will now embrace you. He, he's been Boone's been judged and accepted by the gods, uh, and and he's now one of them. He's one of the night breed. Yeah, and it, I I I think this may allude to the idea of creating your own family. Yeah, yeah. Um, if your family has rejected you, or the the world has rejected yeah. you you can find these people who become your new family. It's essentially a drug house. Potentially, that could be, you know, it could be a a drug house. Like, there was at that time, Mm. you know, you watch a film like Paris is Burning, um, all those characters have been, uh, all the characters, excuse me, they're real people, Um, all all those um, people have been... Rejected by their family, they've been rejected by society, either too gay or too black, mm. or you know they're they're transgendered or too too feminine, you know all that they've been rejected and they they create their own families and these families who who aren't blood relatives but you know live and die for each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's a great thing to see on film, and especially in such a a weird and wonderful way yeah. as it does in Nightbreed, because these people are weird and they are wonderful. Yeah, and they're massively creative. Like Drag is yeah, massively creative. Exactly. I, I think you could look at Nightbreed as a drag family, yeah, <laughs> a drag yeah. house. Yeah, exactly. Um. So we find out that uh, Cheryl got busy. Uh, the night before with a guy called Curtis. Yeah, he was the picture of sophistication. <laughs> and when you find out who she's speaking about, you're like, oh, really? <laughs> um, so they drive up to uh, where Midian supposedly is. Laurie goes off to look for Boone and, uh, and Cheryl spots Curtis. And Curtis is, of course, Dr. Decker. Yes. Unsophisticated David Cronenberg. <laughs> He's a picture of sophistication. Well, well, in fairness, compared to everyone else in the bar, he probably was. <laughs> he, he probably ordered the uh, expensive white wine and that made he, him he a probably picture did. of sophistication. He, he ordered the uh, Pinot instead of the... Uh, instead of Lambrini. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... Laurie finds uh, this a, a creature outside of Midian, um, which has always been a really interesting scene for me. It's a really skinny, bit too big to be a dog um, creature. It looks like it looks like a skinned dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, but more ratty. Yeah. Um. So, uh, there's a voice coming from in- inside Midian asking Laurie to bring the creature to her 
uh, and once she does, uh, this voice belongs to a character called Rachel. Once she brings it inside, it transforms it into uh, a small child called Babette. Um, looks like Annie. Yeah, it looks like Annie. Um, Laurie, you know, just has no idea what's going on at this stage, but she wants to know if Boone's there and you know where he is. Um, and such, and she she follows them underground. They tell her not to go in. They say you 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 know you can't be here, but she goes in. She follows them underground, and uh, Peliquin scares her off at first. So she goes to find Cheryl, and she finds her, but she's dead and hung up against the tree. Yeah, yeah. So I I think Peliquin 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 Peliquin, yeah yeah yeah. I I think he is the the one who's untrustworthy of outsiders. Yeah. Um he's probably been made to to suffer a lot by yeah. the outside world. And he's the one who is angry. Yeah. Um and I, I think the studio wanted to see him as the bad guy because uh-huh. he was the angry one. Yeah. Whereas the others were very sort of docile. He was the angry one. Um, in this cut of the film, by the end, you know, they're all angry. Mm. Spoiler alert. Um, but I think he's an interesting character because he is that one character who is like that to, yeah. to begin with, you know, and um, he's constantly reminded that it's against the law. Um, I think that's really on the nose for what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he's throughout, he's the one who said, "No, you know, I'm angry with the world. Yeah, the the world has pushed me to the side. Um, why should I care about them if they don't care about me? Yeah, um, almost like a guard dog in yeah. in a sense, yeah. but obviously with real emotions. Um, so the masked guy confronts Laurie and reveals himself to be Doctor Decker. <sighs> Uh, he chases, <gasps> yeah, I know. <laughs> <I'm shocked. laughs> he chases her around. Um, Boone uh, goes outside and confronts him because he, he's told not to go out there because he belongs there in Midian now with everyone else. Some of them are allowed to go out in the sun, and yeah. some of them aren't allowed. Yeah, to go out it, in it the is sun. explained that they're all all different. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all different to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but he goes out. He confronts Decker. Decker stabs him uh, and realizes it does absolutely nothing. Um, Narcisse wants him. He, he wants his... Uh, now, I couldn't tell if it was balls or bones. His balls. His balls and his eyes. Balls. Um, so, yeah, so Decker runs away, essentially. And um, uh, and Narcisse tells him, um, you know, he says, I was dying when you had your way with me um, before he escapes. Uh, Boone's face changes to uh he has like symbols on his face and you can tell he's one of them now it's he, almost like tribal tattooing yeah, on, yeah. on his face um Lalsberg is not happy that boone went out and tells him to leave uh decker visits a mechanic to use his phone finds out this mechanic knows about midian and uh essentially interrogates him and tortures him yeah but yeah. before that, we uh, we get Laurie, um, who uh, who wakes up and uh, re- what what happened to Laurie between this stage? I don't think I've got it written down. She she's given she's... um, 
exposition on what Nightbreed are. Yeah. With Rachel. With Rachel. With, with Rachel. Um, and we find out at this stage how everyone's different and such. Um, Babette holds Laurie's hand and she shows her what's happened in the past uh, and how the Nightbreed were tortured and, and massacred. Oh, of course she's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Babette... By holding Babette's hand, Laurie has a vision of what happened. It's very... Um, sort of reminiscent of a battlefield yeah um what it reminded me of was a little bit of uh the battle in gone with the wind and a little bit of terminate 2 yeah you know that sort of um yeah but with like leather and uh, (laughs) stuff. yeah yeah very much very clive barker gone with the wind yeah very very clive barker gone with the wind but it's it's shot almost as if it's like a landscape painting yeah um, yeah, I, I think, wasn't that meant to be sort of more violent? I think that is the violent version I sent it back to school. Oh, okay. Um, so, and, um, Rachel explains that you call us monsters, but you envy us, and what you envy, you seek to destroy. Yeah. Um, I saw that as you you envy us because we're being true to ourselves mm. so you seek to destroy what you don't understand yeah or, or and what you envy because you don't you're not being your true self mm. um and th- that society as a whole um she, she's saying you know or um but i think specifically decker take has taken it upon himself to rid the world yeah and, and that's what is uh, that's what's said in the next scene yeah um, you know Decker's interrogating the, the gas station guy and uh, he's asking if you can kill the Nightbreed and how to kill the Nightbreed um, and he you, you know the, the gas station guy wants to know why he's so obsessed with it and uh, and he's like uh, he, you know he's killed filth who made filth um, before and his, he believes he's born with a purpose to kill Boone and the Nightbreed, uh, and he is just obsessed, and and it's it is just you know there's no really apparent reason behind it. He no. just wants them gone. Yeah, and, and in a way that means his his character could be seen as a symbolism of homophobia because there's no reason behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be seen. He's clearly a bigot. Um, he's tried to frame Boone. Yeah, for his actions he's tried to blame Boone for his actions um it it is slightly funny though because he says um see I've cleaned up a lot of breeders and mm. I'm like huh. uh, well breeders is the opposite um <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, could you also see him as the AIDS pandemic yeah um just he's, he explains he's deaf Plain and simple. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no rhyme or reason, really, because he mm. never gives a reason for it. Decker yeah. as a character never tells us, w- essentially, why he's doing it. Yeah, you know, nothing's happened to him in his past. He's not getting revenge. He's just killing these people. Yeah. Um, I think you could see that as the age pandemic so. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Laurie is still in Midian. She goes deeper into Midian, goes really underground to try and find Boone. Uh, 
and, and this is when we get to see a wide range of the monsters. Um, it's, it's a very long sequence, which is great because you just get to see more and more all different types of designs mm -hmm. and it, it's great. It, it really is. It, the amount of work and effort that went into this sequence alone just makes me think this, you know, this is the Clive Barker film with the most heart. This is the one he's put the most work into. You can definitely see that people's imaginations ran wild yeah. and they were very successful in, in, in bringing it to the screen. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't look shoddy. It all looks great. Yeah. There's, there's even a bit of stop motion here that still looks good. You know, it, in an age where everything is CGI, this is just such a refreshing thing to watch to remind of what could be. Uh, it can still be, you know, they they haven't took away the ability to make films with practical effects. And we discussed this on our, on our Fright Night episode last week. It's very much, I think, these days, it's very much a case of studios wanting to play it safe with uh, with CGI. Like, if Nightbreed was made now... Oh, it would be pure CGI. Not only would it be cut like it originally was, but, you know, it, they'd make Clive Barker use CGI. Yeah. I'm not even sure a, a modern audience would have got it. I, I don't... I'm not sure if this was the kind of film that was ever meant to be a big box office success. No, but I mean, it, I think the reaction, the cult following it's gathered from the horror oh, community... absolutely. I think it's shown that, you know, genre fans specifically... Yeah. You know, appreciate... No, ab so absolutely. What's but really interesting is the fact that... And this is something that I'm surprised not a lot of people discuss... This is essentially the plot of Avatar. This is James Cameron's Avatar. Okay. Like, it, it's people different in this different place, and authorities going in to destroy this place, and one man going in and, you know, deciding he wants to stay with these people. It, that is a very, very similar premise. Yeah, yeah. I bet that, that's... I mean, I mean that's... Um, uh, Cool. That's a, a, an old tale. I mm. mean, Pocahontas is a similar tale. Yeah. But it, um, it, it's it, it's not a new premise. Mm. If, if we're being honest, it's not. Um, this isn't the first time that this kind of tale has been told. Um, the the idea of you know the minority being attacked, uh, the monster you know, being shunned and shoved towards the edge and, and the monster not understanding why mm. because, you know, they haven't harmed anyone. You know, that that's the Frankenstein tale. Um, this is this is a very imaginative imaginative way of doing it. Yeah. And I can see where you're coming from, but it's very similar to Avatar. Mm. Um, but it, it is sort of... Uh, a tale that's been told many times. Yeah. But it, it's just some of the similarities, though, like even um, Stephen Lang's character, in the way he's obsessed with this place and everything, it's yeah. very much like um, David Cronenberg in this film. Uh huh. So it, it, it's just, it just interests me because obviously, you know, I, I don't think James Cameron is very, is a stranger to horror. So it wouldn't, no, wouldn't surprise it me if he, you know. Absolutely. Um, but back to the film. So Pelican has a chat with uh, with Laurie. And uh, meanwhile, Detective, uh, Detective Joyce is having a chat with uh, Decker, who 
tells him that Boone is still alive and in Midian. Uh, Narcisse tells Laurie about the Berserkers, who she soon encounters when she ignores him to not go underground, and uh, she goes under there, and uh, yeah, the the Berserkers are huge, and uh, start grabbing hold of her and everything when she's down there. Yeah, the Berserkers are, are the monsters that are pure monsters. Yeah. So they are the other end of the spectrum. They um, they don't really communicate. They no. just growl. Uh, they don't um, differentiate between anyone or anything. No. Um, they just... They, they seek to destroy. Yeah. You know, and which is why they have to be kept under lock and key. Um, so they don't destroy themselves. Yeah. So Laurie is taken away, taken to Boone, um, and she convinces him to leave with her. So they go away. They go to Sweetgrass, uh, or Sweetgrass, was it, in the uh, motel? Oh, I don't know. They go to a motel. Uh, the receptionist is eating some cake. She drops a bit of it. She drops a bit of it. She drops half <laughs> of it, but then it keeps picking it up bit by bit. Yeah. She finds uh, the head of one of her other employees on the counter after she's spent five minutes or so picking up the cake. <laughs> uh, and then she gets killed from behind. By uh, by Decker. This is um. This was, I think the studio sort of kind of made Clive Barker put this scene in. Didn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, this is very slasher film. Um, it, it it maybe feels a little out of place. Yeah, it just adds to a higher body count. Really. Yeah, I I just feel like once you've had the reveal of Decker, and Decker, you know, his sole focus should have been on the yeah. monsters. This kind of takes away from that. Yeah, but um, I suppose he is still setting Boone up, though, because um, he blames this all on him. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, they Boone and Laurie arrive at the uh, at the motel. Uh, Adaka calls the police and says uh, that they've murdered, um, you know, everyone there. Uh, they they find dead bodies within the motel. The police arrive. Uh, Boone's face changes again, and he gets arrested whilst Laurie gets away. And uh, and this is when uh, Boone is told by a police officer that he's a freak and a cannibal, and uh, he's came to the wrong town. Yeah, and he's told that he stinks. And he stinks. And he's told that he stinks. Uh, the police beat him. And they they really give him a good beating. There and then they leave. Uh, Detective Joyce now wants to go to Midian, and uh, a doctor examines Boone and finds out that he's got no pulse and is essentially dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a press conference with Captain Eigerman, the police captain of, of that um, department. And uh, and he's told about Boone being dead. And uh, they, they basically, they want to raid Midian now. So they uh, they all go there, the police team. And uh, this is, is this before the locals go? No, it's just when the police go there, isn't it, with Detective Joyce? And they, they pull um, Onaka out of there and he yes. explodes in the sunlight. And then they realise, you know, there's definitely something going on now. Uh, the police car gets torched by Narcisse. And then this is when the police captain wants to take a drunk priest, uh, a bunch of locals and his police force to Midian to blow the place up, basically. Yeah, this um, very Night of the Living Dead. I, I was getting the, yeah. the, the, the sort of... The police and the um, 
local rednecks. Yeah, we're allowed to say yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I'm British, so it's the only sort of word we know for it. Uh, but the the local rednecks with their guns. Yeah. Out to you know. <sighs> not even know why they're doing it really yeah, they're just out much. to to cause some pain for people yeah so they all go out there um rachel uh Nossies get laurie and uh, they rescue boone uh, rachel seduces it she gets the top off and seduces a cop and kisses and kills him she does and uh they break boone out of there and uh, the priest, in the meantime, is warning the police that it's a mistake and that there's actually no evil there, which is a fantastic line of dialogue because it just confirms what you already know, of course, that the monsters are the good guys. But uh, then you see the police captain. He actually um, he calls them a homophobic slur. He, he does, actually. Yeah, he, he actually does. He, you know, it's at this stage where the, the, the subtext is very in-your-face, very obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so after... After this, uh, Decker kills Detective Joyce, who finds his mask in his car. Well, he, he tells him to go to his. I have a look in there, and he finds the mask and such, and then he kills him. And uh, the sun goes down, and the cops start blowing everything up, like literally blowing yeah. everything up. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is very, very on the nose for what the world is going. To, well, what America is going through. And the world at the moment, um, I I would say it maybe in nineteen ninety it would it would have alluded to the civil rights movement yeah and also to Stonewall yeah um and that idea of police brutality um, aimed directly at minority groups. Um, you look at some um, excuse me, what was the character that was killed? Um, on Onaka. Yeah. You know, um, that's kind of what set it all off. Mm. You know. Yeah. And it's true. These monsters, monsters have finally had enough. Mm. That's it. You know, and I, th- I think that's really on the nose for what's yeah. going on yeah, right it now. It really is. It really is, and it just shows that this kind of stuff has been going on for years and decades centuries even mm. you know an oppressive police force in, in this case or uh, oppressive um um people in charge being oppressive mm. towards minorities you know no matter what the minority it's it's been going on and and this film i i think really does a really good job of, of showing that yeah you know and you, People are assholes, yeah, and it it just makes it unfathomable, uh, um that the studio thought that the monsters were the bad guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it says a lot, doesn't it? Really? Exactly, it's you know inconceivable. Yeah, uh, we we all know Hollywood's been problematic over the years. Oh my god! And, uh, yeah. When you've got people that want to change a story around about different people being good guys, you know, it really says it all. Um, Palaquin in, in a fantastic scene that goes back to your point from earlier about how he's the most angry. He's the first to attack. He, he, he goes out straight at him. He goes headfirst at a car. He does get run over and the car crashes into Midian. Uh, Larsberg tells the monsters to stay underground and, you know, stand the ground, but Boone tells him to fight, you know, and, and don't, 
let these people destroy their home, basically. Uh, Laurie is chased by Decker. And a, a lot goes on in this in this entire sequence. So we're only covering a small amount of it, but it's an action-packed third act. It is non-stop. And the pacing of this film in general is fantastic. There's always something going on. You're never bored. Um, and for a two-hour film, you know, that's, that's fantastic um, that it's like that. So uh, the battle carries on. Um, Narcisse faces Decker. And uh, we don't see what happens at that point. Uh, Rachel kills a guy that's trying to kill Babette. Uh, Laurie is... Uh, where is Laurie at this stage? As I said, a lot is going on at this point. <laughs> uh, the priest is trying to stop... Um, oh, no. Laurie's trying to be killed by, by the cops that Rachel kills. Because um, she's with Babette. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the priest is trying to stop the, the police captain. He's not having it. Um, Boone saves the priest uh, he tells him we don't like priests here which again is a very very interesting line of dialogue said in religion uh-huh. homosexuality exactly um, but the priest is like take me with you uh, You know, he, he wants to see what is going on he wants to be a part of this um, another a, a female monster who has like spikes coming out of her she, yeah I, I have a doubt if I'm um, the porcupine lady the what? porcupine are you saying porky pie? Porcupine. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That's. It sounded like you were saying porky pie. I was going to say, what are you even talking porky about? Porky pie. I, I had no idea. Porky pie, what, I thought you were talking about a different character. Porcupine. <laughs> I, I get it. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So um, she uses her spikes to kill. Yes. Doesn't she? She does. The the, uh, the There's a monster with snakes coming out of his stomach. He uses them to, uh, to kill someone. Uh, Larsberg is shot. As he's trying to release the berserkers to fight, and him and Boone do release the berserkers, and they absolutely tear shit up. They just destroy everything in sight. That yeah. isn't that isn't a monster, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, again, another fantastic scene. Um, and then after this, Palaquin is still alive, and again, very very interesting scene. He tells Laurie that Boone is his because he made him. His his bite made him. So he's basically saying, look, bitch, Boone's my man. Hands off. <laughs> Stay away. Um, I, I, I love that scene. I think that, that's great. I, I think that's a really good addition to it. Um, Decker turns up and he throws Narcisse's head at Boone, which did not happen in the theatrical version. Um, Narcisse survived, of course, but uh, in this version he dies. Uh, he throws his head at Boone and they have a fight. Uh, Boone stabs Decker and throws him to his death. Uh, the, the knife is already in Boone. Uh, he, he's been stabbed with it, but he, he forces it onto uh, Decker and throws him to his death. Yeah. That, um, that's an interesting yeah. sort of way to, to sort of kill Decker off. Yeah. Um, using what he's created against him. Mm. You know, he's he's put that sword through... Boone, um, but using that pain, you know, as a weapon. Yeah. You know, taking that and using it against Decker. Um, I, th- I think there's a lot of symbolism in, in, in this sort of last um, part of the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, the idea of, y- you know, you ain't going to get anywhere unless you're fighting back. Yeah. You know, um, 
the 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 idea that Midian has to fall. Mm. You know, Midian has to be destroyed for them to progress. Yeah. For them to to build something new somewhere else. Yeah. Um sometimes you have to destroy what's around you to build something even better somewhere else. Mm. And you know, our hope is that the the monsters would build a new Midian right in the center of town. Yeah. You know, and they would live among normal people. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and that's revealed in the next scene where Boone faces um, Baphomet, who is one of the gods uh, of Midian. Uh, he renames him Cabal. He said that's his, that's his name now. Uh, and he tells him that, you know, it was foretold that he would have to, dis- that he would bring about the end of Midian. Uh, and it is his job to find a new home and build it um, for them. After this Midian is destroyed, uh, Boone tells Laurie she can't be part of the Nightbreed. And uh, that he'll come back for her one day. But she uh, kills herself. She she stabs herself. Uh, and basically forces Boone to bite her and turn her into one of the Nightbreed. Uh-huh. Um, what, what's your takeaway from that? Um, if you can't beat him, join him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if if this, is, this is the man that she loves. Uh, she said earlier in the film that she loves him. She doesn't always understand him Mm. um she wants to be part of his life um and if she can't have him um then she'll sort of be with him Mm. (laughs) as a night breed uh i don't i don't know how that works i think i I think essentially (laughs) he he turns he turns laurie into an ally yeah (laughs) uh yeah um Potentially. Uh. And we've seen her perform. She's a great character. She absolutely slays the game. We need allies like that. Um, I, so. I, well, yeah. I, I also think maybe the studio needed a, um, a conclusion to the love story between the two of them. Yeah. Well, this is new. Her being changed, this is new. Oh. Uh, that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Forgive me, I, I struggle to remember the theatrical well, cut. Well, the original ending uh, ends with, uh, obviously, Narcisse surviving. Uh, Laurie isn't turned. And uh, the priest who confronts uh, the god and is, is burnt and, and becomes one of them, uh, he is angry about this. He's not happy about it. So he resurrects Decca, uh, turns him into one of the Nightbreed to uh, fight the monsters and make them pay. And that's how it ends. Because you've got to have a sequel. Yeah. Uh, it ends with a jump scare, essentially. In the director's cut, uh, the same happens with the priest, but he's not angry about it. He he wanted to become one of them. Mm. So uh, he's confronted by the captain of, of the police force, uh, and he, he even he's begging to... Uh, to be shown the way of, of Midian. Now he wants to become one of them. But uh, the priest just kills him. Uh, we see the monsters all hiding in a barn. Awaiting Cabal to uh, go and show them the way. And wh- where they need to go. Uh, we see Boone and Laurie on a hill. And uh, that is the end of the director's cut. And it ends with a title card from uh, from Clive Barker. Saying my love and thanks to Mark Miller and all those who have made this happy reunion possible. Mark Camilla obviously being one of the new editors on, uh, assumingly from Shout Factory, who released this first in America. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
And that's Nightbreed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think maybe it is telling a, a, a gay story, mainly. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the Nightbreed are homosexuals like 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 we said yeah. and, and this is all symbolism and, and sort of um allegorical um i would say that decca is the aids pandemic mm. and those cops and the hillbillies mm. i found another word for it well, might, might be a little more politically correct <laughs> uh the hillbillies at the end are you know, homophobia. Yeah. You you look at the police chief, like, mm. like you've just said. Yeah. He wanted to know the ways of Midian. Mm. Um, it's sort of well known that a lot of the most homophobic people are hiding their own yeah. homosexual, des- you know, desires. And this is how they act out. Um I'm not sure if that's what Clive Barker's going for, but that's what I take from the film. And I think a film that gives you that option, um, you know, to make your own mind up about it, about its symbolism. And like you said, you know, any sort of minority, I think that's, you know, that's a film doing its job to the extreme mm-hmm. and then doing a fantastic job. And being entertaining at the same time. That's the thing, if you wanted to watch this as just a, a fun monster film, you can do that without yeah. looking into it. You know, it's... It could be enjoyed either way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's nice to start, you know, obviously throughout Pride Month, we are going to come across films with not so great representation. Uh, It's difficult. It's it's very difficult to find a horror cult or trash film with good representation. But I think we've done it here with Nightbreed. I genuinely think we've started off on a high because this is one of the most positive representations uh, with its subtext of uh, homosexuality. Yeah. It's a shame that it couldn't be so open about it. Yeah. But I, I think horror itself can lead to these sort of um, discussions. Yeah. Um, horror films, I, th- I think more than comedy or romance mm. or, or drama or thriller... Um, I, I do think horror is a, a great way to for filmmakers to express a certain, um, you know, thought mm. without making it too explicit and allowing them to, you know, use real great symbolism um, that other genres maybe not can't really do yeah I, I think only really fantasy and sci-fi yeah. when you can go you know balls to the wall with these things without it you know seeming too um too far away from what it should be if that makes sense yeah absolutely you know um you the, the biggest film of 1990 was ghost mm. you know there was a little bit of supernatural um to that and but at the end of the day, it's a romantic film. Yeah, that's very clear. You know, very clear cut. Um, but adding aspects of the surreal or, or fantasy allows you to 
do a bit more. Absolutely. I have no idea what I was just saying there. No, no, it all, it all made sense, so it's fine. <laughs> it's really hot now. But I, I do, I, I absolutely love Nightbreed. It's one of my favourite films. It, you know, I love Clive Barker. It's just it's just the perfect film for me. It is my favourite Clive Barker film. I just think it does everything as well as it needs to do it and, and then some I think it's fantastic. Especially the director's cut. If you you know, if you haven't seen this film, we just urge you to watch the director's cut version that's available from Arrow in the UK and Shout yeah. Factory in America. Yeah, yeah, I think the director's cut um works much better it, yeah, than it, the theatrical cut. It is it is the version you need to see. Yeah. Um, so if you've seen Nightbreed, if you're a fan of Nightbreed, tell us on the socials or on uh, Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, don't, iTunes, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe, like and follow on everything else. I am Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter, Gaz 92 on Letterboxd. I am Chris Barker 823 on Letterboxd. Instagram and Twitter, and uh, keep keep an eye on the socials because we are posting uh, Pride recommendations every day for this month, uh, including the films we're covering, the films we're not covering. We're just going to post films that we think you should check out. Um, that's perfect for Pride Month. Yes. So we will see you same time, same place next week. Bye.